coming up on the Joyful Learning Pod. The thing about a novel in verse is that because of the white space on the page, you're bringing in readers who don't always love reading, right? But you're also bringing in readers who are like, this is different and interesting. Um, And because readers who don't love to read spend more time on a page, you know, they're really concentrating on the verse. They're, they're seeing all those different levels that I'm putting in, you know, and then they're bringing their own life experiences to it. And so I think of all the, of all the forms to try to create empathy in young readers uh, versus really just the way to do it. Because like, I don't describe what Timothy's mom looks like, but my reader will think like Timothy's mom looks like his mom or like their house is like their own house or the bus he rides to school is like theirs. And so his, your brain just like subconsciously fills in these things and suddenly you really can uh, identify. Welcome to today's episode with author Carrie Ann Holt. I am very excited to kick off this April National Poetry Month with an amazing conversation. And I am very looking forward to trying out a new format for the Joyful Learning Podcast. This month, instead of having one episode, we have decided to drop a new episode each week of April in honor of National Poetry Month. So we will be coming at you with four dynamic and engaging authors. This week for episode 10, we have Carrie Ann Holt, as I mentioned. Next week for episode 11, we'll have Rajani LaRocca. And on the following week for our 12th episode, we speak with Reem Faruqi. And to wrap up this amazing month of poetry, we will have author Chris Barron. I would love to kick off this episode with a little background information about National Poetry Month. It started back in 1996 and was launched by the Academy of American Poets. And it is really meant to commemorate poetry all month. And it's a special occasion that celebrates poets' role in our culture and that poetry does matter. I really encourage all of the listeners to make an effort this month to read a poem or check out a book of poetry or participate in some of the cool activities that are available throughout the month. You'll hear some cool ideas from our interviews this month. And I really hope that everybody takes away a little inspiration from something that we share on the podcast throughout the month of April. I also am going to include a reading of a poem that I have loved or has been important to me in some way in my life at the end of each of our episodes in April. So let's get started and jump off with our conversation with the amazing author, Carrie Ann Holt. Yeah, so why don't we start, Carrie Ann? Just tell us, tell our listeners a little bit about you and your writing, just a little bit of an overview. Okay. Uh, My name is Carrie Ann Holt, and I publish uh, under the name K.A. Holt. I write uh, all kinds of books, um, but my, my, focus is really um, middle grade novels and verse. 
And um, my first uh, novel in verse came out in 2014, Rhyme Schemer, um, with uh, Chronicle Books. And almost every year since then, I've had a novel in verse. Um, I do have another book, uh, not technically verse, but it's written entirely in text messages and like app stuff. That's a scholastic book called This Is Not a Drill. Um, and I just blew my deadline for the fourth book in the Kids Under the Stairs series. So I'm not sure we're having annual <laughs> releases for that, but that one's coming. Working on that one. Um, yeah, I just, I'm, that one will be, that's Javier's book in the Kids Under the Stairs series. That'll be my 15th book. And that is with the Ben B and the Teacher Griever, right? Those are the, the yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Both Shannon and I love that series. We're very excited for it to come out. We have those in our libraries, so that makes me so happy because you know I released a series about kids in school in October 2020, um, and it's just been uh, it's been a struggle since then. Now that they're coming back in paper, they're coming out in paperback. Um, ben B and Ben Y are like almost back to back paperbacks, so hopefully people will start reading them because they're they're so fun they're like my favorite books that I've written that's cool well, tell us a little bit more about that series like where did you get the idea what has been driving you to write them and tell the re- listeners a little bit maybe about what it is if they're not familiar yet sure so um the overarching title of the series is called the kids under the stairs um and it's called that uh because these kids are in well the series begins with Ben B and the teacher griefer and um the kids are in a summer school. They flunked a standardized test in Florida that they called fart. Um, it's really like, it's really the Florida regional, whatever, whatever. But you know, the kid, they, they transpose the letters. It's such an applicable name. Like I really appreciated that actually. (laughs) (laughs) They called the fart and they've all failed the fart. And so they have to, um, go to summer school to, to work on it. And it's all in language arts and their teacher is, trying to get them to read out loud in class and nobody will do it. And um, she is at her wits end and she's like, help me help you. What, what can we do here together? And the kids are like, well, we really like this video game called Sandbox, which is kind of like Minecraft. And they're like, you know, maybe um, we could play that in class because it's summertime. And, you know, if we read for a minute, then we can play equivalent, uh, sandbox and you can play too with us Mrs. J and you'll see that like we're smart kids after all and that idea totally came from uh, my son a couple of summers ago he was playing so many video games and would not read a book and I was like dude what help me help you (laughs) just like Mrs. J and he was like I'm not a dummy I'm doing cool stuff in these video games it's not just screens and melting my brain Um, And so we made a deal that if he would read for 30 minutes, I would play video games with him for 30 minutes. Um, And he taught me all kinds of cool stuff. Um, I was terrible at every game, but I did see like he was like leading groups of other kids and problem solving things in Minecraft. They were learning about like chemistry and architecture and just all these things that I hadn't really thought about before that I thought it would be nice to put in a book for kids who don't love reading. That's a great pitch, by the way, when you're like, I'm going to write a series of four books um, for <laughs> kids who hate books. <laughs> well, that's what we, it, well, and as librarians, we look for those. So Shannon, I know you have stuff to say. Comment a little bit because Shannon is the queen of Minecraft. Well, she has I co- do run an after school Minecraft club for those kids who are so smart in ways that don't always come across in the classroom. I'm constantly trying to tell teachers that exact Ooh. thing. But I do pitch your book as if you don't like to read, I have a book for you. 
right because on. they're super, super readable. Although not exactly novels in verse. I've you- learned <laughs> that they're multimodal is what, what we're calling them or someone's calling them multimodal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I have them shelved with my novels in verse because that's where most of your other ones are, but there's some verse. There's free verse and then yep. there's illustrations that I do myself, which has been very hard and exciting. They were like, Oh, these sample illustrations look just like a seventh grade boy. You do them all. So I've been doing those. Um there's a video game chat. Uh what else do we have? We have lots of modes. And each of the kids kind of has their own way of talking. Like Jordan J is very stream of consciousness. I always tell readers like you know, if you're comfortable to read his sections out loud, because I think the jokes hit a little better out loud. That's so cool. But I like the idea of multimodal. And I do think that's how so many of our our kids' brains work. I mean, it's not straight up text. And that doesn't grab a lot of kids who don't consider themselves readers. The prose is kind of meh. Like when they see... Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of curious. I don't know if you have an answer to this, but do you have an origin story about how you came to verse? Like how, as a writer, did that happen? Yeah. I mean, you know, what's interesting is that when I look at some of my earlier books, um, I don't, I didn't realize how much poetry I actually put in those books, just like strange little references to E.E. E. Cummings and the middle grade <laughs> space adventure um, or whatever. But what happened was, um, I read Sharon Creech's Love That Dog, and um, I had not ever seen anything like that before. And I was like, I just felt all the like tingles and butterflies and whatever. And like, I read it. I mean, I've read it. I don't even know. Countless. 14 times more than that. And I cry every single time. It's like so concise. It's so perfect. It's so she leaves so much up to the reader to like interpret like that's how you make that book age appropriate because there's so much space for the reader to bring themselves to it and so I was like I have to figure out how I'm going to do this and I uh luckily got a scholarship to um a highlights foundation workshop it was like a longer workshop and um Sonia Sones was on faculty um Virginia Ewer Wolf um who else I mean it was just the star-studded faculty um who very graciously and generously taught us everything they knew. And I was able to take, you know, glean from that. And I was working on um, Rhyme Schemer at the time. And Virginia Woolf looked at it and she was like, you need to just work on your writing. Like, don't come to any more workshops. Just go do this. And and so I did. And, uh, and it worked out okay. Or is working out okay. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely say for sure. Were you not a poet okay. first? Well, so I, I wrote a lot of haiku, like silly little poems and things, and um, actually had a blog called Haiku of the Day that started after I had gotten laid off from a marketing job, <laughs> where I had had a haiku of the day to make fun of our bosses, and then we all got fired. Um, and I just kept sending out this email. Um, and then I had a baby. And so my son, all the haiku began to be about babies. And actually, the very first book I sold was a collection of haiku called Haiku Mama. That was for adults. Yeah. Uh-huh. Who knew? And then I wrote um, Mike Stellar Nerves of Steel, which was in prose, but it had a little E.E. E. Cummings going on in there. And um, and then Brains for Lunch, a zombie novel in haiku, which I think was me trying to figure out, like, instinctually I was trying to do a novel in verse. I just didn't know what I was doing or how to do it. Um, so that one's 
that one's hit or miss. <laughs> you love it or you hate it. It's pretty much out of print. Um, but it was me just kind of trying to figure out like how how to do what I was figuring out I wanted to do. Well, and I think it's, I don't know, fascinating, interesting, serendipitous. You had a different job. It didn't go according to plan. And so then you had to go back to your plan B, which really I'm so glad because I'm that probably was always hopefully going to be your plan A, but I don't know. I mean, a lot <laughs> of people don't, you know, think they can do what they need to do as writers full time. So they always have a, like a, that's kind of their side hustle, but you were oh, yeah. able. Yeah. It's really hard to like make a living as, yeah. as a writer without being, cause I was, I was working in advertising, um, which allowed me to write a little bit, but it wasn't very creative. It was really terrible. Actually. I hated it a lot. Um, and then I thought that for a while I wanted to be a playwright. And then that that's even harder than breaking into children's books, I think. So I had a couple of plays I was working on and then um, just thought, hey, I'm going to write the great American novel. And the voice of a 12-year-old came out. And I was like, that's weird. Uh, let's see what happens. And every single time I sat down to write, it's the voice of a 12-year-old. So here we are. So Rhyme Schemer was great, but House Arrest was like, <laughs> love that dog for me. It was such a perfect book in and of itself. And then you went and wrote Knockout, which was just as good as House Arrest. And my kids can't get enough of those two books. Will you talk a little bit about the process and why you decided to write the second one? Yeah, I so I wrote I wrote House Arrest. And that to me was very, it was very much a cathartic kind of a book. Like I a lot of a lot of stuff that happens in house arrest is based on things that were happening in real life and i just you know had to get it out of me i had to like i had a lot of questions i wanted people to ask about things you know like should medicine cost this much and should it be this hard to keep your baby alive and you know all these things um so i wrote it i was so excited when it was done because i was like i'll never read this book again i don't even care if anyone buys it uh and then and then people started buying it and um it, not not at first like it, it was out in hardcover and nobody like I didn't I wasn't earning out on my advance at all for the first few years and then it got into paperback and got on a few state lists and from there it started to grow and grow and that was when I started getting letters from readers which are a delight like kids send me emails and they're like I never finished a book I've never read a book all the way to the end but I finished your book yours was the first one and that's really nice but I also got about a trillion letters where all the kids hated the end. They, everybody hates the end of Hazardous, um, which is interesting because we worked really hard. <laughs> I worked really hard to, to leave it open-ended, but in a positive kind of a way, right? Like I didn't think of it as a cliffhanger. It felt very done. Timothy had had his arc. Kids did not love that. They still don't. I, I get all the time notes from kids. Um, and so everybody wanted a sequel and I had never, I didn't plan, I didn't want to write a sequel. And I sat down, I was like, oh, every, so many kids are asking for it. Let me just see if I can figure something out. And I couldn't figure out like how to continue where we were at that point. And a friend of mine was like, hey, dummy, uh, <laughs> you might feel like Timothy's arc was completed. But here are some things that we didn't find out about. Like, how did Levi's surgery go? What's going, like, you know, does, what's the deal with dad? And la, la, la. And so, um, I thought, well, what if I, what if I center the next book around Levi instead of Timothy and it's Levi's story at the same age. And so we're seeing him try to kind of break out into the world, 
where his family is very protective um, and we get to see dad and all the things. And, and that was a way in for me um, that helped me write that story. Though I will say the first three drafts, I was still trying to center Timothy a little bit. My editor, I was like, you know, kids are going to read these out of order. And so if they pick up knockout, you have to make sure they know what's going on and that they know who Levi is. And I was like, I fought, I fought against it for a while, but then she was right. She's always right. (laughs) It's not like you can write a a expository introduction where you explain everything. It's a verse. So you have, you have very few words to kind of get the story rolling. Yeah. And you know, I'm, I'm, I'm depending so much on this partnership with the reader to like bring what they're going to bring to it. And, you know, together we make a book. Novels in verse are probably one of the most popular formats in my library. They've really. so cool. Yeah. And I also have my own section. Like, like Shannon said in her library, she pulls out her novels in verses. Like we are genrefied. And I have a section just for novels and verse for those readers who are looking for that style, that format. It's easier for them to find. It blows my mind because when we were shopping um, Rhyme Schemer, which wasn't like the very first novel and verse ever written, obviously, because I took a class from like amazing people and Sharon Creech had her books out. But like shopping um, Rhyme Schemer, so many editors were just like, I don't know what to do with this. (laughs) I don't know what this is. I'm not familiar with poetry. This is a middle grade boy who this is all in his head. He's got so many feelings. Where's the action? Like it was a very, there was a very sort of gendered confusion around uh, middle grade boys with feelings, which mm-hmm. upset me because I have my own middle grade boys with feelings and, you know, that's, that's a good thing to have in a book. And so it's so great now to see entire shelves and sections and there's so many and there's so many more coming out and and yeah it's like all the thing about a novel in verse is that because of the white space on the page you're bringing in readers who don't always love reading right but you're also bringing in readers who are like this is different and interesting um and because readers who don't love to read spend more time on a page you know they're really concentrating on the verse they're they're seeing all those different levels that I'm putting in, you know, and then they're bringing their own life experiences to it. And so I think of all the, of all the forms to try to create empathy in young readers uh, versus really just the way to do it. Because like, I don't describe what Timothy's mom looks like, but my reader will think like Timothy's mom looks like his mom or like their house is like their own house or the bus he rides to school is like theirs. And so his, your brain just like subconsciously fills in these things. And suddenly you really can uh, identify with a kid you thought you had nothing in common with because it's, you know, versus all about emotions, mostly, you know, we're talking about these big feelings and stuff and everyone has big feelings. So then by the end, they're like, whoa, you know, let's talk about these big issues. And I'm like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And Redwood and Ponytail is a great example of that. It's really so character driven and you just, sort of walk in the shoes of these two young people and it's really transformative for lots of kids yeah it's just you know everybody has a crush right and you're freaking out no matter what you're freaking out and like some of us have extenuating circumstances and some of us don't and I really worked hard to like layer redwood and ponytail on top of knockout if you read them back to back you'll see that they're happening concurrently 
And so like these things that Levi is doing um, and Kate will kind of filter in and knock out and he'll get really mad at her. But then in Red Wind and Ponytail, Levi kind of comes in and Kate and Tam get really mad at him. And I was trying to show how like even though we're all in the same circumstances, a lot of times everyone has a different perspective on what's happening and a different interpretation. And it doesn't mean you're right or wrong. It just means you have to respect that different feelings are happening, you know, especially in middle school, right? Yes. And it goes back to what you started with empathy. You just, mm-hmm. you, you get outside yourself and you can see it from somebody else's perspective and you, you just accept it for what it is. Absolutely. It is such a like under the radar joy for me that kids who love house arrest and love knockout pick up redwood and ponytail because they love the other two books and that and maybe they're they wouldn't have picked it up otherwise and they're totally sucked in and they love it and you know send me little notes about how i didn't know if i was gonna like this and then i was like whoa i'm really not gonna like it (laughs) and that's great like i'm getting audiences that i wouldn't always get you know it's cool and as librarians we appreciate that bridge to you know, they, they have a an author, they come in and they say, we want the latest from this person and we have it. And thank you for writing diversely um, with topics and characters. And it, it's helpful. Yes. <laughs> Trying to reflect the world. Trying to reflect the world we all live in, right? Yes. Well, I am so appreciative of your time. And I have one last question that I ask everybody that I get to talk to. And you kind of gave me a a natural segue because you mentioned joy. So this is the Joyful Learning Podcast. And I am curious, what is bringing you joy in your life right now? And it doesn't have to be related to books and reading or writing. And it may, but tell us what's bringing you joy right now. I think think what's bringing me joy right now is... um... I have, I've been trying to teach myself how to watercolor. Um, it's like a thing in the pandemic where I was like, I just kind of have to have a quiet thing and let my brain go. And um, my friend, Fran Wild, uh, who is a fantastic sci-fi writer, she introduced me to watercolor pencils where you can like sketch with the pencil and then you get uh, like your brush and just lightly get, do the water over it. And it just turns into a whole bonkers thing. So it's bringing me joy, even though it's also bringing me mess. <laughs> well, you will have to send me some information, and I will add that to the show notes. Yeah. Can I ask one more question? Sure. Please, 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 please. Um, I know that maybe you can edit this so it sounds more in order, but since we're, I know this is coming out in April, this, this podcast episode, can you just talk briefly about Typewriter Rodeo? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Typewriter Rodeo. Oh, my gosh, we're about to have our 10th anniversary. Typewriter wow. Rodeo, um, it formed kind of spontaneously for a Maker Fair in Austin 10 years ago. Um, all our friends could make cool stuff with Legos and whatever and had booths. And we were like, what can we do? We can make words. Um, and so we had a word makers booth and I collect typewriters. So I brought in a bunch of typewriters and we just started typing like poems and stories. And then all of a sudden we had this like huge line and someone screamed out, it's like a typewriter rodeo. <laughs> and then this lady asked us, if we did events and we were like, sure. So we like ran home, we bought the URL um, and we do events all over the place. People come up to us. We, we have a podcast for, um, for KUT, which is our like uh, Texas standard news affiliate um, for our NPR station here that goes out all over Texas. And we do a poem every Friday. Um, but yeah, we do events that you come up to us and you give us a word, a phrase, whatever you want. 
and stand there, don't move, and we write you a poem, two minutes, and then stamp it, hand it to you. And uh, it's the best. It's, it's really the best. That is super cool. And that is something that could be very easily done in libraries and classrooms all over oh, yeah. everywhere for not just April, but maybe introduce it in April and then just keep it going for the rest of the year. That would be super cool. Totally. It's so great. And, and it, it makes poetry not scary and it makes poetry about you. Like, and you get to give someone a gift of poetry. The best thing about typewriter rodeo is that when I write a poem and I give it to you, I never have to see it again. And it means something <laughs> to you so much. Like people put them up all over their houses, but like it flies off into the world. It's poetry. It makes poetry ours instead of some scary thing. That's so cool. Well, thank you both Shannon and Carrie Ann for taking time to chat with us. This was a very, very fun and inspirational discussion. So yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. And this was so quick and nice and we've done it and now we're done. Yay. I know. And I hope that all of the listeners get to do some really cool activities in April and beyond that can just, like I said, be the kickoff, be the start and the inspiration to absolutely do something that they don't normally do, or maybe you're a little uncomfortable with. So mm -hmm. any last Lean thoughts? In. Yeah. Yes. Lean in. Shannon, any last, last thoughts you want to share? No, just thank you, Melissa, for constantly bringing us joy. This was <laughs> joyful and I just really appreciate it right now. Awesome. Well, thank you both. Yes, this was a delight. Thank you. <laughs> In honor of National Poetry Month, each episode this month, I am going to share a poem with the audience. And this week's poem comes as a result of episode four with Natalie Lloyd. She told us about one of her favorite poets, Mary Oliver, and the poem, Don't Hesitate. If you suddenly and unexpectedly feel joy, don't hesitate, give into it. There are plenty of lives and whole towns destroyed or about to be. We are not wise and not very often kind, and much can never be redeemed. Still, life has some possibility left. Perhaps this is its way of fighting back, that sometimes something happens better than all the riches or power in the world. It could be anything, but very likely you notice it in the instant when love begins. Anyway, that's often the case. Anyway, whatever it is, don't be afraid of its plenty. Joy is not made to be a crumb. Thank you, everyone, as always, for tuning in to the Joyful Learning Podcast. Please follow our podcast and our social media accounts, and we would be greatly appreciative for anybody who really is connecting with the show to rate us on whatever platform you find your podcast and leave a review if you feel so inclined. <laughs>